0: i'm e and i'm M. and welcome to blood and turf a podcast about the links between the ideology of turfs trans exclusionary radical feminists and fascism cults pseudoscience and other reactionary political phenomena in our last episode we introduced the listener to how the fascist mindset enthrones the penis as the symbolic ruling organ of all human experience and how fascist masculinity relies on a belief in its unerring positive power however fascism is nothing if not contradictory The penis is also terrible and fearsome and can be an organ of corruption. But how do fascists rationalise this? The second episode will attempt to penetrate the matter further in order to find an answer to this question.
1: Good job vocalising the concept of waggling one's eyebrows suggestively. Thank you. Okay, so, oh, content warnings. There's going to be quite a few of those for this episode. Content warnings for this episode include anti-Semitism,
0: racism, specific and detailed discussion of the penis as an organ, generalised discussion of serious sexual assault, STIs, homophobia, seraphobia, as well as specific mentions of child sexual assault and surgery-slash-invasive medical procedures. As ever, heinous amounts of trans misogyny will be discussed.
1: Okay, so we left off the previous episode talking about circle jerk, if I remember correctly. That was one of the, the final discussion points, was kind of like how the Faskies is like the ultimate circle jerk. And also things like comradely reverie and all of, these, all of these like positive aspects of like the brotherhood of the phallus, which is fundamentally what a lot of fascism comes down to. But obviously the the brotherhood can always be threatened from outside which is where we get into the realm of the penis as being a a subject which can be threatened, and also the penis as being like an outside invading force, either an environmental one or a personal one, directed by a personal or political enemy. And this this is a this is another one of those rich veins upon which to tap.
0: Welcome back to Blood and Turf. This episode is about fat gay dicks, and this is a pro
1: syphilis podcast. <laughs> Wonderful, I'll use that. Okay, so, as, as E has just described, this is a pro-syphilis podcast. Why is it a pro-syphilis <laughs> podcast, you ask? Well, it turns out, <laughs> it turns out, comrades, that um, syphilis holds a critical role in the kind of imagination of, like, early 20th century fascists. Um, one of the books that we've mentioned a couple of times in the series so far is a book called Male Fantasies. we cited it like five times now it's going to be cited very heavily in this episode and there is an extensive section in the second volume where the author quotes at length from various german far-right writers who discussed the subject of syphilis and connected concepts um it's bonkers i we've got a list of quotations here that we're going to kind of like pick through and analyze but like i barely even know where to start because it's just lunacy So. This being a pro-syphilis podcast.
0: Let's lay out syphilis as an ideology.
1: Well, syphilis, as as we've been reliably told, is an ideology.
0: Well, you know, everything's ideology.
1: Should we find out why syphilis is an ideology? We got, just in case the the listener has not figured it out, we've got a lengthy quotation from like a series of German far-right weirdos that explains how and why syphilis is an ideology. So we've got a little quotation for you here. And basically it's about how it's, it's, it's from the male fantasies book and the, the general premise of male fantasies is that the author Klaus Light has taken a lot of texts that were written by prominent German fascists and German like militarist reactionaries in the immediate post-World War I period. And the, a lot of the, the, the book is concerned with analyzing these texts and like discerning what they tell us about the, the, the male soldier psyche. There's a significant section which is concerned specifically with how these men thought about syphilis, how they thought about it as like an environmental condition, how they thought about it in the bodies of women, how they thought about it in the bodies of soldiers.
0: There's only two genders, women and
1: soldiers. You've forgotten the third gender.
0: What's the third gender? Syphilis.
1: Yes, yeah, syphilis. Syphilis, <laughs> the third gender. <laughs> <clears throat> Continuing on. Would you, would you like to read the quotes out now, please? So, in
0: Spia- Spionage, Espionage, a collection edited by, oh shit, by Letal Vorbeck, Ferdinand Brack reports that at least 1,500 women from Lille and Roubaix were transported in this way to areas distant from the front and indefinitely interned. Brack takes evident pleasure in describing how the French mayors of individual small towns were forced to concede entry to the freight cars marked Vegetables in which the women were transported. <clears throat> The cargo of vegetables which the local adjutant was forced to receive, not without a slight shudder of horror, was indeed a particularly rotten one, an avenging chorus. Strangely, the integration of this great female flood into the resident population proceeded more smoothly than expected. Thus, all enemy hopes of further gains by these means were dashed. On the syphilis front, at least, the German army could then claim a victory. And then later on, it goes back to this quote, these two quotes, which are Syphilis is not simply something one has. It is either a condition deliberately given or a function of enemy intelligence. As Hockwinham quote writes, as Hoquinham writes, syphilis is more than a microbe. It is also an ideology. An ideology in the sense in which Artord uses the term in his analysis of the plague and its symptoms as an integral complex of obsessional ideas. The idea of syphilis encapsulates a compulsive fear of contagion, a hidden collaboration between microbes and the unconscious energies of the libido. So these quotes, the, the, the first little section of quote I read out speaks about how the fascists essentially grabbed a bunch of women who may or may not have had syphilis, uh, uh, you know, like bad, I don't know, bat, bad, loose women, I'm using scare quotes, you can't see, um, and and literally shipped them in, in literal freight cars uh, to, to, I guess, you know, a, a, as a form of germ warfare, but you know, with actual, Non-consenting human beings, classic fascism, and attach this kind of germ warfare as the second section of quote says. You know, between the unconscious energies of the libido, uh, rather than you know, rather than just at straight germ warfare, which is um, just the microbes, I guess, which kind of makes sense because of the the kind of um, this fascination with syphilis as being like it says like more more than a microbe and, and this ideological kind of obsession.
1: On the germ warfare front, I think it is quite uh, quite interesting that they used them in this way. purely purely going to the, having a little digression into military technicalities. A classic M time. Yeah, I, I sorry.
0: No, no, no don't apologise. It's good. It's good.
1: So, listeners of the show may not be aware, but people who know me more closely will be. I pay quite a lot of attention to a subject called arms control. Uh, and that relates to like the regulation and the prevention of the use of like biological and chemical weapons, and to a certain extent nuclear weapons. Um, and chemical weapons are used a lot more frequently than biological weapons, because biological weapons are dangerous in a highly unpredictable manner, so actually they're not used that much anymore. But chemical weapons are used in, are used quite frequently in a manner very similar to the the description that's given in the passages you just quoted where they're actually not particularly effective against the military components of a conflict. Gassing in World War I was only effective because it was new, and even then it was only kind of like partially effective. But when you kind of fast forward to modern conflicts, chemical weapons like sarin gas, chlorine gas, mustard gas, are almost exclusively used against civilian targets in order to undermine populations in a particular area in order to clear particular areas in order to engage in what's called area denial it's essentially a form of like eugenics as warfare warfare as eugenics direct attacks on the on the on the body politic of the enemy's homeland and that's that's so similar to this thing with the french mayors
0: it's also like the modern the modern trend of warfare um to be kind of about it, to be similar to how you know p- policing goes like, poli- but like the police are a modern uh kind of like um expression of state violence and like to me it seems i'm not a big war nerd but like to me it seems like a lot of modern warfare is kind of like policing essentially like w- like you say like clearing areas being used against civilians you know that kind of thing
1: yeah there's definitely th- so i guess this wouldn't necessarily apply on the grand scale to World War I, which is what they're discussing in the, package, in the passage, but definitely right now with these kind of like mid-level wars, of which there's now quite a few around the globe, one common feature that one sees being predominant in those wars is that like clearing particular areas of civilians in a specific way, that is kind of key to how these things are prosecuted, and it's key to the psychology of these events. One other thing I wanted to bring up from the passages you quoted is: is we've got our first mention of the great female flood. Uh, it's a nice—a nice little predictive thing they put there. We're going to be talking a lot about the great female flood.
0: Oh yes, because it, it is uh, <clears throat> to link it to. Um, I mean, I love talking about. I love being pro syphilis. I love talking about syphilitic propaganda. I love syphilis as an ideology. But to link it to the to to net you know the point of the podcast um, is that. Uh, or the episode at least um, <clears throat> is that it is a threat as a venereal disease. It is a threat to the penis specifically uh, unique amongst kind of biological or chemical warfare.
1: Yes. Um... And
0: the literal penis. Cause obviously syphilis, you, you, you can contract syphilitic dementia and stuff like that. And, and obviously the fascists link the penis as, as we discussed last week with like models. So it's, it's kind of like a, it's an all out assault on, Penis causes of
1: penis. Tough on the causes of penis. That's something you definitely can't have in your fascism. Well, exactly. Um, I'm looking at the Wikipedia page for for syphilis, and ironically, the syphilis bacterium, uh, Treponema tropone- pallidum, looks like a corkscrewing worm. Oh, that's so. It's a it's a phallic microbe. Absolutely incredible. Beautiful, beautiful. It looks sort of cute, really.
0: Oh, I'm, let me let me check this out. Do you, do you remember a few years ago, well, a while ago, um, there was a kind of oh, they, that's adorable. It's a, like a little worm, a little um, and, worm, a little wiggly worm. Listeners, it looks like a little slinky. It's adorable. <laughs> um, yeah, there used to be this company that made like massive cuddly versions of microbes, so you could. There like, used to be this pop.
1: company that just made syphilis.
0: <laughs> I wonder if they did make syphilis though, giant microbes. They used to do loads of things. I bet you they did do syphilis. Oh, fuck, they've made a COVID one. They're uh, still
1: going. You know that they've made a COVID one, baby.
0: <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, so it's like, it's, it's not just a grim company. They do it specifically as an educational thing. It's very good for young, young
1: people. Um, help them learn and stuff. Uh, Jesus, just- 107,000 people died of syphilis in 2015. Fucking hell. Jesus
0: Christ.
1: Anyway, back to ideology. Syphilis, apart from killing 107,000 people in 2015, is, as we've been reliably informed by uh, Hockingham? How do we pronounce this man's name? It's an ideology. You can buy a syphilis key ring. Wonderful work staying on topic, E. <laughs> Listen, <laughs> while
0: we were, before we started recording this podcast, M noticed that in the last episode he spoke quite a lot. And uh, I have been given free reign to say any bullshit that comes into my head. And if the episode quality suffers as a result, I cannot be blamed. (sighs) Is this
1: victim blaming? Only time will tell. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, back to it. Ideology. It's Zizek time. Let's do it. Come on.
0: I bet you Zizek has written on syphilis.
1: He must have.
0: He must have done. Interestingly enough, on the on the on the subject of the great female flood and, and the threat and, and the threat to the penis, um, venereal is actually uh, archa- it's not used like this anymore. But in its archaic, uh, arguably correct use, um, venereal means relating to Venus. Uh, which, as the astrology gaze, know, the symbol for Venus is, is the um, is the ring and cross symbol, which is is used as the symbol for um, for the female gender. So there's a, little, a fun little link there.
1: Just a little aside. I just googled it, and no, he doesn't appear to have written anything on 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 syphilis. But there is a persistent rumor that he has it.
0: Incredible.
1: Um, I very much doubt this. I think I prefer the rumor that he's um, very fond of coke because I think that's much more realistic. Right. So syphilis is an ideology like this. This basically kind of, like, sums up the whole the whole fascist approach to syphilis and venereal diseases in general and the negative consequences of sex, both for the soldier male and for the soldier society in general.
0: Yeah, because these poor, these poor women who are being shipped in on in, in as literal kind of chattel, the, 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 the sex is bad from a fascist perspective, not just because of the fact that, like, some of them might have had syphilis, but also the fact that, you know, it's not productive sex. They're not people's
1: wives. Yeah, so the reason why... so you know obviously the, the the historical sourcing is a wee bit dodgy here so we don't know who these specific uh people who were in those specific train cars were which is a, an interesting parallel to the holocaust to say the least but i think it's reasonable to assume that basically you know they sent the military police around and they hoovered up various different sex workers who were kind of like in the, in the camp following of the german army and shoveled them onto trains this was a, a you know very very common thing to be done by authoritarian military c- control apparatus in times of war because you know allegedly the presence of sex workers diminishes morale and discipline and all that stuff so you have to kick them out you can't have you can't have uh, women on board the ship basically and then like the the connection that that there is between between these people and and the soldiers is obviously that they're having sex so. The direct direct physical thing that's happening is that the phallus is being plunged into something that's corrupted, and that act might corrupt the phallus. It might corrupt the soldier by giving him syphilis, and it would therefore corrupt the collective phallus of the army. That's the basic kind of like, uh, like subtextual libidinal logic that's going on in the mind of the generals, and it's also the direct pragmatic logic that's going on in the mind of the generals, whereby they're thinking, okay, How much do we have to expend on like medical supplies to treat all of these sexual disease cases in in our like military ranks? How much do we have to roll out the military policemen to control this shit? Do these guys suddenly want to not fight so much now that they've talked to someone who isn't like a horribly shell-shocked guy holding a beaten up rifle for like the one time per year that they're allowed to? Generally. The presence of women was a threat to the war machine so they had to be shipped out.
0: Yeah and again it's the same thing of like it's a threat to the- it's a threat to the penis as an organ of action um as in the soldier and then a, a threat to the penis in the sense that like if you do- if you do have a bunch of women around soldiers they are gonna bang. So it's like the the fascists- the fascists are seeing this kind of like as a metonym for a front that they have to fight.
1: Right so the act of like pleasurable fucking with- with like random women who are around is, is, like, distracting from the act of martial fucking, which is directed as, like, a one-sided operation against the enemy. Yep. So, that's all stuff that we've... is kind of based in, like, dong positivism, because, like, there's, like, the dong positivism thing where, like, the act of martial fucking is, like, a a humongous act of, of like, supreme civilizational productivity and nobleness, and then it's being undermined by being fucking normal. <laughs>
0: Yeah, you're not, you're, not fucking for, you're not fucking for your country either in the sense that you're producing more soldiers, nor are you fucking for your country in the sense that you're producing more territory for your nation, um, which, are, which is like the foundations of Dung positivism. Like, you are doing... Your penis is doing bad things, whether it's your rifle penis or your literal penis.
1: Right, and the thing that has caused it to do bad things is the, is the swarming mass of women... Bloody women. Yep, yeah, the bloody women. The swarming mass of women... Combined with the swarming mass of microbes and corruption um, that are within those women, and they both become this same mass. Uh, and Thervalite, who's the guy who wrote this male fantasies book, is very concerned with this with this subject of of the the mass, the negative mass, the corrupting mass. Not to be confused with the masses, but nevertheless, this idea of there being kind of like a a mass body that libidinal energies might be poured into but which they would either like reflect of or be corrupted by or be damaged by because there's something about the mass which is inherently destructive or which might divert those energies into a place that fascism can't bring itself to reconcile.
0: You say it 's different from the masses, but <clears throat> is it really because some people characterize things like riots as as, as, as having this almost libidinal energy, which obviously riots are like the worst thing for authoritarian regimes they hate them
1: okay. um, so we haven 't got a quote a quote from this passage, but there is so um, favorite says that they aren 't different from riots it 's like they have an overlap like there is an overlap between mass and masses, but they aren 't quite the same thing as each other. There, he nice. does, he does write about masses and demonstrations in the context of German post World War One soldiers, basically having to put down the Spartacists, who were the who were the German kind of like communist revolutionaries and socialist revolutionaries in the in kind of like the period between 1917 and 1919. Yeah, um, and there's a passage which I have neglected to put in the show notes where he describes. A fascist officer, like writing in his memoirs about like the sensation he felt when he ordered his men to fire into a crowd, and suddenly this crowd kind of like melted away in this magical manner, and all of the all of the power of the crowd had been dispelled by this one like fascist disgorging of lead.
0: Well, the, the, this quote that you've linked here. I think also makes it makes the original point, but also adds to this point as well, where it says, "Um, so <clears throat> from the same book." Uh, Thus the rebellious human mass gathering in the street is both an incarnation of all contagious diseases spawned by life-producing desire Which I guess is where I was linking to riots and then it says and an incarnation of all the red masses uh, Red is capitalized in which yes. the mass yes. So that,
1: that's communist masses
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. So it's, it's 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 like I think I think that makes that point as well, right? And it says the embodiment both of pleasures that tempt and pleasures that are dead This may explain the soldier male's fascination with the decaying mass for it appears to have all the features of his own externalized interior. Its attraction is irresistible.
1: Right. So the, the so the, the thing about the the mass, in the sense that Thavolite often refers to it, is that it's it's decaying and it's dead and it's it's disease risen. It's he often yeah. describes it as being like uh, or he often refers to other people's descriptions of like piles of dead corpses, uh, things like okay. mounds of earth, um women who like where where some aspect of their body is 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 dark or kind of like filled with lust but in a negative manner like there's there's a section where he's describing a jewish woman who has black hair that kind of thing yeah Uh,
0: gets very creepy very quickly
1: yeah it does like there's there's a lot of a lot of morbidity a lot of like uh phallic imagery mixed up with morbid imagery that kind of thing
0: yeah well, the, the, in, in the later quote that you've also added, it, 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 has, a very, it has a lot of phallic imagery where <clears throat> there is a penis or gun penetrating like a decaying mass, where it says, On the ground, a charred, blackish, encrusted mass. Can this be a human being? I jammed into it with the barrel of my gun, inexpressibly curious. There was a hiss, the outer skin ruptured, and my gun went deep inside. The lump seemed to move. My stomach heaved momentarily. The hideous stench of disease and de- decomposition sent me reeling backward, and I stumbled away.
1: Right, and that's that's clearly a corpse. Um, yeah, and like the the soldier male has like penetrated this corpse in his act of going forward as the soldier.
0: Yeah, inexpressibly curious.
1: Yeah, exactly, and it's 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 revealed this this like bodily horror which he as an actual human being is unprepared for, but which reinforces this this kind of like political sensation of yep. of the penis going forward into into the like the horrid blob
0: yeah like a non-soldier male would not see a what they think is a corpse and jab it with something even as the soldier male does have a human um uh, reaction in 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 nausea like if he was not if he was a normie he wouldn't have poked the corpse
1: not a human corpse, no. I think, like, you, you might get, like, a, a like a child might run across, like, a dead rabbit in, the, in like, some meadow and poke it with a stick. But that's yeah. a, it's a completely different, like, psychological phenomenon.
0: Oh, yeah. It's not a, it's not a human corpse in a war zone that yeah. has been caused by your forces as well.
1: There's so much, like, psychological and political context here. It's just, like, it's so clear what's going on. It's madness. So, these are things that, like, we've mentioned, we've mentioned, like, things that the, the penis is doing and that it's going forward into the mass, we've mentioned the, like, the dangerous nature of the mass and the fact that the mass is, like, comprised of women, um, but this, like, final act of connection where, like, the penis goes into the woman and then there's, an, then there's a moment of corruption hasn't yet come to pass, um, however, obviously that does happen, uh, the sexual act has to be consummated. And unfortunately for these fascists, sometimes it gets consummated with Jewish women, which is not brilliant for them because that leads to ideological destruction, as we will discover. So there's this section of the book that um, where Feverlite quotes from a different um, early 20s German fascist author. A lot of these fascist guys were writing basically pulp fiction like uh, war memoirs as fictional novels where they were like heroic captains running around the Prussian countryside putting down the Reds all of this kind of thing and um, there's often a case of them kind of like running across like the the trope of like the beautiful yet fallen Jewish woman um, one of the most classic iterations of this is uh, in the novel Ivanhoe uh, which is a, a kind of like a classic piece of English literature where like one of the main characters is like a beautiful Jew- Jewish woman who isn't ever quite good enough for the hero. But in this fascist literature, it takes a different sense because instead of not being quite good enough, instead of having to be like fridged for the, the sake of the of the hero's continuing like rise to sainthood, which is what happens in Ivunho, um, in these German fascist novels, these Jewish women are like, fundamentally corrupt in in like a direct physical libidinal manner. Uh, so there's this series of written pieces about this fictional woman called Mirjam. <clears throat> I shall quote now, Hans Kreft, the hero of Zoberlein's model befell des Gevisens, conscience commands, is hounded by, by Mirjam, the daughter of a Jewish banker. She is beauty personified, elegance, wealth, serpent, whore, and countess, not to mention opium addict. Nor is this all she has two further traits of particular interest here. First is her affiliation with death with the world of the no longer living so this is just kind of like setting up the way that these guys write about women and the way that these guys write about women as being beset by these political contradictions where they're manifesting the serpent they're manifesting the whore, but they're also manifesting a kind of negative nobility where they've got like stature and wealth and power, and there's like their physical body is very attractive but there's this essential evil to them Um, and the quote continues hell is inside in the darkness of the body the body is a tomb a dungeon the mass of this ancient pleasure-seeking people is the mass of of dead desires Kraft feels moldering within himself struggling towards the light fleeing from pleasure from desire from the unconscious whose darkness is the realm of the dead it is not only the mass of human dead that can attract and repel as canetti claims It is also the mass of dead desires of life that has perished within the soldier male's own body.
0: It's it's like, it's like in seeking to dehumanize a person or a concept which embodies a person. It's, 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 it's like how um, people theorize that the reason that we are obsessed with uh, zombies is that it's that kind of uncanny valley thing. And if you're attempting to dehumanize someone who is a human being, you have to kind of force that uncanny valley in someone's psyche and you do that i guess by linking it to hell and death because although the person is literally alive because you know they are just a normal an, actually a normal human being like to 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 justify the dehumanization you're having to say like oh no there there's something corrupted here there's something wrong and invoke this kind of death in this person who is actually very much alive
1: Right. Yeah. So that so in the case of in the case of Mirjan, this fictional character, like the purpose that the author has produced for her is to be this signifier of death, to be this like walking, kind of like rolled up embodiment of sex and death at the same time.
0: Yeah. The 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 ultimate red woman in a kind of more um like esoteric
1: uh term rather than, than, than red in terms of communist. Well, I mean obviously there's the there's the communist connection as well. Like Anyway, um, continuing on to a further quotation on the subject of Mirjam. Um, Mirjam's other interesting trait is a blood disease that makes her sterile and is highly contagious. The Jewish pox, judenpest One of Kraft's well-meaning friends, a pharmacist familiar with such matters, enlightens him. And this is a this is a sub-quotation where, where Thevelite is now quoting from the actual book that he's referring to. Um, Mirjam will capture you like the witch she is. Whatever she loves is horribly destroyed, and her love is more often than not quickly given. No man has ever been able to keep away from her after the first time. Not even me, just so you know. Why are you telling me this? I've already explained. Because even the best of intentions are useless if you're dealing with slippery cats like this one. You need to be able to feel enormous repugnance for her. I would be sorry to see you become the next victim of her Jewish pox. Her syphilis. Kraft stared back in horror. Why? You... An icy horror heased him, and he cursed himself for babbling at such length with a man completely unknown to him, all for a Jewess who he cared so little for, indeed who disgusted him. How could he do such a thing to his Berta? How could he waste uh, as much as one single thought on such a woman?'
0: so even before Mijam has done any like evil syphilis spreading like she's already become a threat to like this fascist dude because like he's doing he's doing mental adultery and he's like this is the worst
1: right exactly like this this so the, the that passage that was within the there the, was the quote within the quote is like the main character of this fascist self insert fa- fanfic having a conversation with his doctor and the doctor being like well i got Syphilis from this Jewish girl, and you better not have sex with her because then, then, she'll give you Jewish syphilis as well. And it's just like, what are you talking about? What is wrong with you guys? Yeah. Uh, also,
0: the pharmacist just being like, "Oh
1: yeah, ju- just so you know That was an interesting, like, obviously, this is a fictional conversation, and it's a fictional, a fictional conversation from the point of view of like a fascist pulp, r- pulp fiction writer. <laughs> So these are not realistic human interactions, but I just, I I really uh, am fascinated by the vibe where like German upper class doctor in the 1920s will just tell one of his patients that he's got a venereal disease. It's very odd.
0: The other thing is that, like, again, she like in order to dehumanise her, she's being characterised as like a witch, and like he calls her a cat, and like there's this weird. It's this. It's this. Not just dehumanisation in terms of like positive versus negative, but like this mysticism to it. This kind of like this monster invocation, which obviously we see later in this book. um, Fascists characterise women as various mythological creatures in order to cast them as like. Uh, monstrous threats to the phallus, essentially.
1: Right, yeah, there's a, there's um, obviously there's a podcast, so we can't show you this, there's an absolutely fascinating political cartoon that's depicted in the book from the period that the book is writing about, where there's, um, like, a naked, heroically muscly Herculean man. He's in a luxurious bed, and the woman he's about to have sex with is this, like, beautiful, luxurious woman, except from her neck is, like, sprouting this, like, meter long highly muscular serpent neck the head is like the head of a, is like the head of this like round serpent with fangs with a big, kind of like spitting tongue and huge glassy eyes it's like it's all fully bonkers like these these like political perceptions of women are then like immediately transformed into being like physical perceptions of certain physical characteristics which is you know obviously ties into this combination of the physical and the political which you get from the sexual infection side of things obviously like i think the the thing that really sprung out for me from that cartoon although it's a cartoon that is i think it's literally named like the threat of syphilis or something like the implication is that syphilis is this serpent that springs from the female body and that that, that will that will shock the man in in the act of like sexual pleasure is that Syphilis is also depicted in this in this phallic way. Like syphilis is 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 a phallus itself within the female form.
0: Yeah, and we've got we've got a we've got a keychain to prove it. What? (laughs) We were talking earlier about the company that makes like giant versions of the microbes because we were commenting. Oh, those
1: keychains! I thought they were like cuddly toys.
0: Also, them as cuddly toy keychains.
1: Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's even worse.
0: Just like dangling your keys, but instead of like having like some pink fairy dice, it's like a pink fairy syphilis microbe.
1: God, imagine putting those in the bowl. I mean, if anyone recognised it? They would, they would very quickly be leaving. You go to the, you go to the upper crust, like, uh, like fucking doctors swingers party, like the upper middle class swingers party, where they've got the good quality Coke, and you put that keychain in the bowl, and everyone leaves. (laughs) (laughs) They don't even stop to take the brand
0: name Ritz crackers. They're just fucking. They're out of there.
1: Oh boy, oh dearie me, oh no. <laughs> so, <ahem. clears throat> shall we Shall we move on in the script to continue talking about uh, phallic women and womenly phalluses?
0: Yes. Which may or may not be classed as girl dick. Like, because, Which um... may or may not
1: be classed as girl dick. And like, it, 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 to, to, I think specifically in this episode, we're actually not gonna be talking too much about girl dick specifically.
0: No, it is like the previous podcast in which when, when, we, we are, when we are speaking of the penis, we are speaking of like the fascist, like head penis or whatever.
1: So the soldier male um, can do all of these things with his with his penis, positive and negative, and the, the, the penis can be subjected to certain environmental and personal and political dangers, as we've just discovered. You know, it can have interactions with bad women. It can have interactions with this negative, deathly mass. It can penetrate the mass. It can do all th- sorts of things to this like horrible, syphilitic, post-war machine blob of rot. But there is another kind of negative phallus that features in the fascist imagination, and that's the phallus that comes in from outside. It's the, the penetrating, hostile phallus, arguably, to a certain extent, it's also the queer phallus. And how can one talk about such things without talking about soy boys? Ah oh, yes,
0: soy boys. Every fascist's fear. So, when we were when we were speaking about this, we were we were theorizing that the reason that kind of like the 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 soy boy in its modern terms, or I guess the male soldier who loses his capacity for soldiering in in a kind of historical sense, is specifically terrifying to fascists because like you look in the mirror and you see one, right? Like um, they, they, they have their potential you, you have the potential to become them. Um, like, the, the mass of, um, the, of failure men, uh, could include you if you're not careful. I guess similar to how they view syphilis.
1: Pretty much. Like, syphilis can be, syphilis can be a, a syphilis can be a way of living that you, <laughs> that you achieve by bad life choices. That's really, um, being a soy boy being being the recipient of 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 like phallic penetration or phallic uh uh i guess phallic incapacity like having an insufficient phallus that can also in the imagination of the fascist be something that you choose to do it's all about these individual choices that undermine you because you chose wrong because you're not enough of a man yeah like
0: they in in the modern in the modern terms they are like um uh, NPCs like from 4 chan comics
1: and so yeah just just for for the context of our listeners we're referring to the NPC meme um, you've probably seen this if you're as online as we are it's a it's a subgenre of the very popular Wojak meme and the NPC meme is like a a completely gray human face that looks like a like a department store mannequin it's expressionless uh, and they're often depicted kind of contrasted to like normal human uh, versions of the character Wojak and they'll they'll do various things which depict them as NPCs or non-player characters and this is something that's been borrowed from video games where the non-player characters are something that's built into the game and therefore they have no agency, they're just programmed. There is a whole kind of like meme that sprung up around this concept of the non-player character that, that certain people in real life are NPCs because they don't have an internal monologue and this was generated over a viral article that was based on a paper that claimed that certain- a certain portion of the human population does not report themselves as having an internal monologue, that they don't hear their own thoughts inside their head. And this generated this idea that became very popular on- in like, online far-right circles, particularly on websites like 4chan, 8chan, uh, certain sections of Reddit, certain sections of Tumblr and Twitter, certain sections of Discord, that- the people who don't hear this internal monologue are NPCs and these NPCs are the political enemies of the player character, which is a modern kind of like Western pop culture updated version of the soldier male except significantly less impressive.
0: <laughs> I mean yeah that's the whole point of this podcast is that we're, we're comparing historical um, examples of like fascism rising in the collective uh, and because we're living through that now. At least that's like our thesis. And so like there is a parallel between what we've just spoken about. And yeah, like these kind of like 4chan fascists. Uh, the, the 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 really terrible loser modern soldier male. And and their fear of NPCs is like very similar in the sense that an NPC is that same uncanny valley deadness to it. It's the dead mass again.
1: Right. One thing that you will sometimes see happen on forums that have the same kind of culture as 4chan is that they will, there will be overlaps of rhetoric, shall we say, between how they describe NPCs and how they describe certain categories of women. And this will often be applied to cam girls, uh, Twitch streamers, and obviously trans people because there's uh, a heavy overlap between all of those categories. And because of the, the way that particularly trans women are viewed by society and the way that they present themselves in like their visual appearance, that means that they're just really vulnerable to these kind of like ideological and rhetorical attacks, and if you can make this connection between physical appearance and essential self, then you could make these kind of like fascist arguments, which 4chan loves to make, that because of certain aspects of the self, this person isn't a real person. The the cam girl is like an NPC. The trans person is like an npc particularly the trans girl is an npc and if the trans girl overlaps with being a cam girl or with being a streamer or with having like an online persona then they're an npc they're a non-person
0: yeah it's just modern euphemisms for the same kind of shit you see in fascist systems over and over again which is like the persecution of minorities and people who don't fit into the fascist death cult
1: uh, machinery Right, it's the classic dehumanisation model, which is, like, ultimately allows you to shoot the prisoner of war and dump them into the pit.
0: Yeah, you need grist for the death mill, and it always seems to come up in the same sources.
1: Yeah, so, like, going going back to the soy boy, um, the soy boy is particularly threatening to the fascist phallus, because the soy boy represents what the fascist phallus could become. It could become, like, weak, degenerated, there's something in the blood, i.e., Estrogen from all of that soy that you've been eating, that <laughs> will reduce the power and size of your phallus. It will reduce it will reduce your martial capacity. All of this crap. This isn't how any of this actually works in reality. You're not going to have your penis shrink because you eat fucking tofu.
0: I mean, fun fact: my 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 special boy juice is made from soybeans. Testosterone is, uh, if I'm if I if I'm not wrong, uh, by many brands synthesized from soy.
1: Yeah, yeah it is. Um, like H Bomber Guy did a whole video about this like famously, it went like viral because it was just such a takedown of the concept. Um, he, doesn't,
0: he doesn't take tea, does he?
1: No, no he doesn't take tea but he did do a whole thing about the concept of soy boys where he ate nothing but soy and uh, yes, to see if it would do anything and he was like no this is just a, a slightly boring food stuff if you don't produce it correctly and don't prepare it in the right way. It's just bean curds. What are you idiots talking about?
0: But it's it's because it's not about the soy. It's just the it's the modern euphemism is the soy, but it's really about this like yeah fear of impotence, fear of like the you know dog negativism, taking taking your penis away from you,
1: taking your you penis know, away from you. Like it, it's going to shrink back into your body. You're going to go back to boyhood. You might go back to boyhood in such a politically corrupt way that you become a girl.
0: Yeah, it's like it's it's a psychosexual danger. Um, Or (laughs) spinning yeah and it's like and that's how the and that's how this danger gets linked to kind of like queer stuff is that it's like it's a literal danger to the penis but then it's also like a moral danger from this like concept of being a failure as as a soldier male Um, which also is is where you get this kind of pseudo medical kind of like bent to the same core idea as I guess society becomes more concerned with with medical in general like dr strange love the movie has a fluoride conspiracy and obviously people today a lot of them think that fluoride is bad and is gonna make all the frogs gay just like with um with 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 soy and obviously this also links into like you know turf stuff as well um with their obsession with puberty blockers because they seem to view puberty blockers as like this corrupting force never mind that's not how it works they in their mind it doesn't matter whether they're talking about puberty blockers or hormones or soy or fluoride it's all the same threat to the
1: soldier mail this this links back to a couple of things one of them is our like last episode's update on cult watch where we talk about uh, our duty and there's the the role of the image of the syringe so there's that that obvious link in there and the other one is the the issue of the frog so turning the frogs gay this is a thing that derives from alex jones of infowars fame um complaining about people putting stuff in the water that turned the frogs gay which is a combination of classic anti-fluoride, anti-communist conspiracy theories of the early high cold war era of like the 1950s and 60s, which is lampooned in Dr. Strangelove, and modern fears about gender and about the 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 dissolving of gender due to something to do with hormones, and it varies depending on who you talk to as to what that something is. The reason why I bring this up is that I think it's quite interesting that well, it's 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 really a coincidence, but I do think it's quite amusing that um the the self-insert meme of the kind of like the 4chan, 8chan far-right crowd back in 2016 was Pepe the Frog. And the the faux meme that they eventually came up with is like a little bit after that was the NPC. I just think that's a like, a wonderful little um dichotomy that they accidentally created where they they like Fed into this bullshit that Alex that Alex Jones produced for for an unintentionally viral clip.
0: Well, I mean the the actual Pepe the Frog, like the original creator, who has nothing to do with like the um, the, the 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 like neo fascist um, imagining.
1: God, so this he, makes me so sad. That poor fucker.
0: Well, there's actually a documentary which I, I've been meaning to watch actually about him trying to reclaim Pepe, which like arguably has worked. Like, have moved on from using Pepe quite a bit. And what's quite interesting in, in what you just said is that, like, from what I can tell, I, I don't know very much about the creator, but, like, he seems like a very kind of, like, Bay Be- Montero, kind of, like, very chill, uh, like, quite kind of, like, uh, not the butchest of characters, which is obviously, like, exactly what these little 4chan losers would hate. You know, he, he is the gay frog.
1: Yes, he... Oh, I, I I go. I don't know if he personally is gay, but he is the gay frog. Oh, I also know, I, think...
0: I don't think only difference on him as an actual person. I I more mean like any signifiers.
1: Yes, absolutely. Um, it's also worth noting that Pepe is actually quite a good meme. Like artistically speaking, there's a lot of feeling in the way that Pepe is 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 produced as a visual image, which goes into another subject which you and I've talked to about, which which you and I've talked to each other about, which is the fascist creativity, particularly artistically speaking is sometimes really not up to scratch. Uh, which is something we'll we'll maybe go into in another time. So th- th- there's this danger to the penis from the soy boy, and the soy boy is like this menacing horror because the the, the 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 like the psychosexual danger is is generated by this potential for an abstract impotence, and that totally freaks them out. So there's this combination of there being like a a moral danger to the penis, but also there's like a literal danger because. They do believe that the soy boy is real, that there are real soy boys out there. And specifically that these real soy boys have feminine characteristics. And these feminine characteristics might lead to one of those mistakes in personal judgment that we talked about earlier.
0: Yeah, it's really similar to the quote about Mirjam. Like, the fascists are terrified of basically finding soy boys hot in this in a very similar way and it's like oh yes this this symbol of death is also a symbol of sex.
1: Right so the thing that i think of this is that like a lot of fascist uh, imagery resol- revolves around like the primordial strong man uh like walking through the landscape like this kind of like hero- with his
0: flag and his penis
1: with his flag and his penis like yeah like we discussed in the most primordial version, there's not even the flag. Like, it's it's literally this kind of, like, Conan the Barbarian figure just, like, walking through the wilderness with his sword, doing adventures, like, Hercules or Gilgamesh or something like that.
0: Which is linked, uh, which is also linked to that kind of uh, veiny collectivism kind of imagery as well.
1: It is linked to that veiny collectivism because these heroes are often now realised in a nationalist context, whereas, you know, originally that would have not been the, the context in which they were, which no. they arose. Um but the, the the importance of this like Skyrim character hero is that the Skyrim character hero has to remain this kind of like Arnold Schwarzenegger figure where like there will always be accidental homoerotica produced, but it'll be unapologetically heterosexual in its intention. But what what the the ultimate danger of this of this model of this male archetype is, is that you could get this Alexander the Great situation where you've got this fantastic martial male, but he finds a lovely boy in the palace. That I think is what builds into this fear. Like there's this, there's this trope fear that might appear there, that there's this, there's this possibility that like Conan the barbarian might find a soy boy so sexy that he'll prefer the presence of this, of this like soy boy in the harem as opposed to his wives.
0: Yeah, the, pro- the 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 problem is almost like if you make if you make Conan too sexy, then there's gonna be gay, there's gonna be commie degenerate gays like me who are gonna turn up and be like, oh hello there, and Conan might be like, oh hello there back, and then you put all your effort into creating this perfect fascist male, and he's gone, he, he he's too busy like, I don't know, hanging out with me to do any fascism.
1: Right. Not only is he too busy hanging out with you to do any direct fascism, he's too busy hanging out with you. Um, I'm making a commie, yeah, like having sex with the with, with with the with the soy boy elemental catamite commie to produce little kiddies. There can be no reproduction of the little timmies if if Conan is 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 with the soy boy harem.
0: Yeah, there's like a there's like a there's a literal canta- contamination. But even if Conan avoids getting soy pilled he might end up still in this uh, like non-reproductive capacity instead, in, in which case it's, it's, it's much of a muchness to the fascist mechanism generally. So it's almost like this kind of, um, this un this unmale, which uh, Eliza Gouger has spoken about a lot actually, in terms of uh, the kind of Viking concept of ergy, which I, I can't pronounce. But like, you, you're going to end up with like this weird gay panic all of the time because like it, it amounts to a failure in in, in in becoming a fascist male, a soldier male. Um, so like you have to get rid of, you have to get rid of and dehumanize kind of like soy boys or like, uh, unmanly ergy, uh, people or gays or trans people because like they're, they're they are this existential to opponent and like they have to be gotten rid of in a similar way that fascist military leaders would view syphilis as a danger. It's like it's that management you spoke of earlier, like how many people are we going to have to treat, blah blah blah. It's not a literal infection, but it the 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 conclusion is the same. It's still men not fighting and not contributing to the mechanism. There's a book, well, not a book. There's a small essay about this actually called "The Faggots and Their Friends," which um, is is a good piece of writing. And I, I you, you may not agree with it entirely, but it it does put forward this premise that like queerness is revolutionary in the way that it is anathema to the fascist, like, war machine in this way?
1: So going back to the, the like, the Skyrim-Conan hero figure, like, connection, I think, like, the stuff that Eliza Gager wrote about all of this stuff to do with this Norse concept of, of Ergi, and I think it kind of has this natural overlap with the, like, the Conan-Skyrim-Alexander-the-Great-archetype-hero thing, whereby, like, Ergi is this, is the, refers to this, like, concept of unmanliness, and it also kind of, like, connects into this Social category that they had, or like appear to have had, in the context of certain parts of Viking culture, where there were kind of these, I guess, Viking magicians, sort of just like trotting around, doing stuff that was considered unmanly. And this would often be kind of like social, social services, but not in the way that we would recognize them. Like there would be mystical aspects, and there would be technical aspects, mainly the mystical, and these these would combine into being. Deeds that fell under the category of unmanly, that fell into the category of un- of like uh, of ergy.
0: Thinking about it, actually, in a kind of ge- in a kind of galaxy brain way, the reason that the the ergy uh, uh, man, the, basically the the, the 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 opposite of the soldier male, which in in extreme examples like fascism is a literal soldier, soldier and then in other examples which you could argue, like, like the modern UK, which is, like, pretty authoritarian and shit and, and, and you know, quite fascist, um, upholding society, like, more abstractly. And, like, one of the things that, that, that people who had kind of, like, these magic roles often performed in a society were, and, and this might sound, like, really, like, off the beaten track, but, like, things like, um, people, people regularly reference how, like, witches provided family planning services, like, childcare help, abortificance if needed and and like things like fixing people's problems in a magical way is arguably a threat to the state because it's not centralized and it's almost like there's almost like mutual aidy kind of like anarchist aspect to it so it's like a threat in at multiple levels
1: yeah this stuff this stuff that's con- that's like combined into the concept of 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 like having ergi within oneself could never could never feature in the modern fascist imaginary of like a heroic culture
0: yeah and the reason and 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 it's like what that's one of the reasons i guess why it is so like um anathema to to the soldier more it's like not only are you not doing fighting because you're busy like being gay and like doing gay magic stuff but also like while you're doing that you are helping the community rather than like doing fascism just a failure all around it's not productive in a fascist way and then in the case of the the literal queerness it's not productive in the kind of like familial unit as a component of the fascist state way either not only are you not being productive in a familial unit as a component of wider fascism or productive in the sense that you are fighting as a literal soldier you're also it's a threat to the phallus at kind of like varying levels from like the 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 literal interpersonal sense right up to the giant phallus of the fascist state like it all goes back to it all goes back to penis threatening is what
1: I'm saying. Yeah, I guess like the the, the modern the modern iteration of this um, outside of the like the, the 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 fascist realm of discourse within like the like the liberal realm of discourse would be like concerns about like the metrosexuality and like whether or not one's like domestic relationship is is proceeding along the correct lines. Uh, and like the, we did pick out uh, a thing that's in the show notes, a Guardian article about of course, the- the Guardian. Yes, of course, it's a Guardian article. Um, I guess we better apologise to our listeners for fucking quoting from The Guardian. But basically, uh, there's this article about, well, a Guardian columnist complains that they're so turned off by their boyfriend wearing dresses that they just can't hack it anymore. And they wrote, like, a full op-ed about this. It's, like, 40 paragraphs long.
0: Yeah, it's basically like this woman complains about the fact that she met a guy who likes wearing um, like dresses and skirts and makeup and had always done this and she knew this when she decided to date him and then it's just this hand wringing over her, her literal disgust towards this poor guy presented as in like this moral this moral format, despite the fact that, you know, it's clearly just like her own shit doesn't deserve an article except it's the Guardian and they love they love being garbage.
1: Yeah, I mean, like, the thing is, is that I feel like if I was an editor, I would have rejected this as, like, a way of bringing one's personal shit into the workplace in a manner that is fundamentally inappropriate, but obviously The Guardian just loves this bollocks. Because it's it's total clickbait for, like, liberal, not very intelligentsia readers.
0: Yeah, it's like, oh, I, I too hate the unmanly. But yeah, I'm like I'm, I'm politi-
1: socially, I'm pro-gay, but fiscally, fiscally, I cannot be having with Ergie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Ergie centrism. That's what The Guardian is. Ergie centrism.
1: Oh, no. <laughs> they so cursed.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, fucking wonderful. So anyway, I guess like the way that this, 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 um, Like chimes into the modern, the modern world isn't like it's it's about like the the modern like domestic life, basically. Like there's that that will kind of tie into fears of whether or not darling little Timmy will be corrupted as an adult when when they grow up from being a child and all this kind of stuff. The the fears of like an intimate personal relationship changing dynamically. Uh, in a way that isn't like suitable in relation to like normative patriarchal systems, that kind of thing, and from there it ties into turfs being kind of like terrified of and fascinated by depictions of a phallus in a way that they find inappropriate.
0: Yeah, it's kind of like for this example specifically, it's it, it it's like they're afraid of um of of interpersonal relationships like not being productive for patriarchal systems anymore. Whereas like obviously we don 't give a shit about that stuff, so for us it 's just like, oh, this is a normal thing, but th- it, this attitude betrays where their value is, and its and it's in again these like wheels upon wheels of like garbage, like capitalist fascist kind of like bullshit and it 's like gender from there and and, and, and and I say gender very abstractly, not not what gender is, but like I guess gender fascist gender ideology links the penis so much to all of these concepts which is why we're doing a two-part episode on it specifically because gender is used as and it's reifying is used as a specific tool for fascist societies and the turfs love it so they're like oh well i love i love this i do not want it to be um chipped away by soy boys and and such like
1: so yeah from the wonderful psychosexual world of guardian columnists we move on to uh the current like far right craze for being terrified about postmodernism and all of the Tumblr gays coming for your kids or whatever it is this week.
0: Yeah, this is really the link between um, you know obviously the, the whole point of the podcast is that we argue that the the are fascist, but like the actual crossover between turfs and the and the four chan neo fascists of the of like the modern age um, because that the, there is an overlap, but they're not they're not the same. Where they do overlap is this like this straw tram, like this blue head, postmodernist, like tumbly tumbly user, which has like all of the old style fascist fears, like you know the 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 red threat, the intellectual kind of stuff, along with the kind of more more modern kind of like gender euphemistic fear as well. So with this modern kind of thing, this kind of like threat is usually like of indeterminate gender um so this is like used against especially for 4 trans people like not even necessarily people who identify as trans but uh perhaps either gender non-conforming or simply feminist um but then on the turf side it's, it's 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 more specific and that's why it's kind of like this figure of a straw trans specifically but like both sides of this of both tendencies see this figure as like the same kind of wretchedness, this um, almost like the, you know the similar to the NPC or like this thing of uncanny valley and like death. It all links back again.
1: One thing that I've noticed crop up in a lot of kind of like four chan memes about like you know blue haired SJWs is that there's this heavy overlap between between them and the soy boy concept, and there's also this heavy overlap between them and the NPC concept. So yeah, they're they're all this kind of like interlocking. Like network of of fears personified within these certain archetypes, and it's all it's all yeah. As you said earlier, it's all kind of like much of a muchness. The thing that it kind of like comes down to is these are all threats against the fascist Conan. Either the fascist Conan is set is like a, a threat because he's going to be penetrated, or because he's going to penetrate something that is bad for his future ability to engage in penetration. Those are those are like the two like principal aspects of dong negativism, particularly with this kind of like idea of like fascist Conan the Barbarian uh, superhero type figure. The penis is normally the weapon which should be used by the fascist Conan to to like safeguard the nation from threats and from ills, and that means that like threats to the penis can always be kind of like fitted into these interlocking pattern of fears that are threats to the nation and vice versa, like a, a threat to the nation become a, can become a threat to the penis. Communists can become a threat to your penis. Uh, syphilis can become a communist plot. Fluoride in the water is like the new form of syphilis. It's being it's being done to you from, from without, and if there's fluoride in the water, then perhaps our bombers won't be able to lift off in time.
0: When you think about it, the nation is just a very large
1: penis. Yes, yeah, stunning insight there, E. <laughs> <laughs> who, who could have come up with that before?
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, right, but I've, so,
1: I've... so yeah, yeah, Nation is the collectivized penis, um, yeah. but also because the, the Nation is a collective project, it's not only like a collectivized penis itself in like this kind of like a martial and uh, like fertility reproductive colonialist sense, but also you've got to kind of like leverage the connective strength of the Nation to save the penis totem from its inherent weaknesses, because this cultural fetishization of the penis in these various different, like, political roles is so stupid that it's just inherently vulnerable to all of these threats, so the only way in which they can reinforce it is through the power of the state, and it's through the power of fascist collectivism, which is why all of this bullshit ties together into, like, coherent policy which flows out of these rather stupid complexes that have developed.
0: It's, it goes back to our favorite, our main man, Umberto Eco, in which the penis is a focal point for these same anxieties about things that are both powerful and weak. Um, and and like his constant threat from without and
1: within, which only fascism can supply the solution for. Yeah. It's like these, these contradictions, aren't even bugs, they like they become features, they become core elements of the rhetoric. They they become essential to creating the convincing psychological case for the fascist policy. And, like in the way, in the way that these in the way that I described earlier, with like the the requirement to safeguard the penis totem being like a principal requirement of the nation and therefore a principal requirement of the state, these things all become like transformed into policy. Uh, And the the principal policy of fascism is like a a particularly rapacious manner of conducting war. And it's the the principal policy of the fascist nation state will fundamentally be directed around either uh, like warfare against a specific national enemy or it'll be uh, warfare in a slightly more internalized colonialist sense where there has to be an internal war to engage in purging.
0: Well, it's like how you see a lot of, I'm going to refer to like the 4chan Reddit kind of like 8chan milliers, like just the 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 neo-fascists, the internet neo-fascists. Like people who, like ourselves, who are, are very against all that sort of thing, make a whole joke out about, about like everyone being like gay and like panty fur and stuff like that because by that logic, in order to combat all of these systems, you have to basically fully embrace dong negativism. Like dong negativism is, in this sense, anti-fascist. And that it, like, if you break that binary of, of uh, if you break this contradiction, then then you you break apart this kind of like feature of fascism.
1: Right. You have to become uh, every snake on Medusa's head. Yeah. That's what black bloc is. Black bloc.
0: Yeah. It's not. It's it's like the anti fascist Faskies is fat, gay, panty badics, Like
1: beautiful beautiful
0: i've solved it i've cracked leftism
1: i'm fairly sure leftism had enough cracks in it already
0: (laughs) going back to kind of the source material on the martial penis obviously the martial penis is connected as we've said before um in the previous episode in more detail but here as well like the the martial penis is connected to weapons and we've covered rifles but there's there's other things as well right
1: yeah so as i mentioned earlier um i'm kind of interested in this in this subject called arms control and it's very concerned with with nuclear bombs and the study of nuclear bombs from like the negative point of view in terms of getting rid of them uh has become particularly concerned with the psychology of people who are actually making decisions like the psychology of generals of politicians of like horrible think tank wonks with no chins and the way that these guys manage to to you know venerate these absolutely ultimate super penises basically and it's quite interesting because there's this complete shift in the way that language is deployed in the way that it's deployed in the in the text which we were talking about earlier which they've like quotes the the phallus is talked about in this either like rather representative like uh, metaphorical manner or it's talked about in a in a direct manner in which there's like a a sexual relation happening there's a very interesting essay by uh, an academic called carol cohen Called Sex and Death in the Rational World of Defense Intellectuals, uh, and this was published in the late '80s. And Carol Cohen is this kind of scholar of international relations and international politics, and she wrote this very interesting essay about how, like, American, like Rand Corporation think tank weirdos and like Department of Defense sort of like men in suits talk about nuclear bombs. And the 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 contrast with the way that the fascists were talking about like the, the the these kind of like weaponized sexual matters in in these 1920s pulp fiction novels and how these defense intellectuals are talking about nuclear bombs which are these ultimately phallic items is absolutely stark um, the conclusion of the essay least the sequence of quotes which I'll, I'll now read out um, The fact that the subjects of strategic paradigms are weapons has several important implications. First, and perhaps most critically, there is simply no way to talk about human death or human societies when you are using a language designed to talk about weapons. Human death is simply collateral damage, collateral to the real subject, which is the weapons themselves. Second, if human lives are not the reference point, then it is not only impossible to talk about humans in this language, It also becomes, in some sense, illegitimate to ask the paradigm to reflect human concerns. The discourse amongst the experts remains hermetically sealed. Cohen then continues, Within a few weeks, what had once been remarkable became unnoticeable. As I learned to speak, my perspectives changed. I no longer stood outside the impermeable wall of techno-strategic language. And, once inside, I could no longer see it. Speaking the language, I could no longer really hear it its definitions of the perimeters of reality became mine. Like the White Queen, I began to believe six impossible things before breakfast, not only because I consciously believed, for instance, that a surgically clean counterforce strike was really possible, but instead because some elaborate piece of doctrinal reasoning I used was already predicated on the possibility of those strikes, as well as on a host of other impossible things. And she then continues further. As the pleasures deepen, so do the dangers. The activity of trying to outreason defense intellectuals in their own games gets you thinking inside their rules, tacitly accepting all the unspoken assumptions of their paradigms. You become the subject to the tyranny of concepts. Um, the reason why I wanted to quote this is I think that it's be- because it comes at this same kind of concept of these, these huge phallic weapons being central to this entire subculture. And defining everything about the language and culture in this in this subcultural group, which is defense intellectuals, it's a, a wonderful comparison to these first subcultures which we were analyzing, which is initially turfs and then more kind of like classic martial fascists, where the the weird complexes that erupt out of the the subculture's immediate kind of uh, predispositions and immediate preoccupations begin to create this self-replicating logic and that self-replicating logic becomes a political castle within the within which these kind of forces reside and like the only purpose that that castle holds is to like keep all of its knights inside and to keep all of the peasants out and occasionally they'll ride out and do some horrible havoc and i think that's fundamentally like a a model of these psychological concepts of the penis that exist within classical and modern fascism within kind of like the martial psyche. And there's certainly some overlaps with how kind of transphobia as a a growing political movement thinks of the phallus.
0: Yeah, in this episode, we've specifically, as we've said in both parts, spoken about the fascist's penis uh, rather than what penises actually are. You know, like the concept of penis. When we speak in further episodes, speak upon specifically fascist kind of like imaginings of actual trans people rather than kind of like trans people as part of this like boiling stew of like concepts that threaten the nation and are terrifying to the fascists like this will be this overlap will be explored in a lot more detail
1: but it's its own episode we haven't completely finished with our study of the penis as a political organ we'll probably return to it at some point in the future but for now this is the end of our two-part series on the i guess the fascist phallus specifically I think if we were going to draw any kind of like generalized conclusion, it would probably be that model of coalescing uh, systems of thought, coalescing patterns of propaganda, all kind of like becoming these like flows of energy that restore the vitality of the penis as a totem. That seems to be at the core of how fascists think about this stuff and how their political practice is derived from those thoughts.
0: We hope you like this uh, two-part episode. We, we it's, an, it's the first time we're splitting things into parts. And so hopefully this is a, a format that people like because we have noticed that episode's getting longer and longer and we don't want to be, you know, a two-hour long podcast. Um, so when we cover other kind of big concepts like this, like other things to do with masculinity and, you know, other concepts, we'll probably occasionally be doing multiple-part episodes. So
1: I hope this works. Our next episode will be about the subject of institutionalism and the way that, particularly the trans-exclusionary radical feminist side of the modern transphobia movement interacts with public and civic institutions, uh, particularly legislative ones, uh, particularly certain aspects of the intellectual or academic community. This will probably tie into certain things that we've already covered in the show, like cult behaviours, like pseudoscience, to a certain extent, stuff like architecture from the last episode, and also to a great deal, uh, turfs and transphobes inroads within the radical left. Uh, That will be uh, an interesting subject to cover, especially given current events in the UK where the Labour Party is continuing to have paroxysms of uh, just infighting and weird bullshit going on around senior members who are fully going through the looking glass.
0: Yeah, by the time we record that episode, like Keir Starmer will have probably gotten uh, you know, Venice Allen on national
1: television or something.
0: Like, that's the rate that they're going.
1: Yeah, Venice Allen will be in the focus group, like uh, Julie Bindle will be a personal private secretary. It'll be terrible. (laughs) Anyway, as with last episode, our music was by Molly Noyes, who very kindly produced a couple of tracks for us. Uh, Thank you for that one, Molly. We will link uh, her Twitter bio and her Bandcamp account in the show notes. And with that, uh, goodbye. We'll see you next episode.
0: Bye.
1: Like in Dune, with the worms.
0: Wait, what happens to the worms in Dune?
1: If you give the dunes, if you give the, the worms in Dune water, they die.
0: But they need water because they're a carbon-based life form. Uh, uh
1: not
0: in not on Dune. What,
1: what, uh,
0: what hydrates their
1: tissues? Uh, worms. <laughs> yeah, what what hydrates their tissues? worms that doesn't I can't remember I read it
0: when I was like 13 I need to fucking I need to ask about this
1: it's true if you give the worms water they die yes
0: well I don't like it because because they're worms you know they've got muscles they've got blood all of that's got water in it
1: right go to the dune wiki Go to the article about sandworms, control F, water. Uh, There's an entire section dedicated to water poisoning. Water poisoning. Water was fatal to a sandworm, even in small doses. Water that entered the sandworm's body would act as a catalyst to accelerate its metabolism to the point at which it became unstable and its vital biological functions failed. This was a violent and presumably painful death of the sandworm. It was occasionally necessary, however, since the byproduct of, this, of a sandworm water mixture was the highly toxic poison called the water of life, which the Reverend Mother has used on various occasions. So basically, if you feed the worm water, it blows up and you get mushrooms.
0: So that implies that it's not that they can't have water, but it's more like their homeostasis around hydration is too sensitive.
1: Yes. I'm gonna have to edit all this out.
0: i lost i lost i i lost it slightly because i was opening twitter to look at our dms and someone had posted a video of them uh having an egg come out of their bum cool which i I wasn't expecting you know
1: (laughs) i wasn't i wasn't expecting that yes our first horrendously pornographic hate mail wait no it wasn't to
0: our twitter it was it was to my it was my twitter but i was looking at our like our as in our a conversation between us our dms not the dms of our oh
1: oh that's so disappointing it would have been so thematic
0: i know that would have been very very good um but no we're not being sent egg porn that would be very funny but we're not being sent egg porn
1: I don't um, feel like I don't feel like they have the sim like the the imagination of symbolism to pull off that kind of thing. I don't think that they would they would like hmm, let's. I don't think they would do the connection of like hmm, okay, what do we really need to do to 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 like deliver like a highly Freudian riposte to these these evil women hating TRAs.
0: Yeah. Also, like some of them are anti porn, so they wouldn't send egg. They wouldn't send egg. You know.
1: You wouldn't send egg to a policeman.